his name. His name is Jesus. Power in the name. His name is Jesus. You ain't got it yet. His name is Jesus. I'm going to ask you if you can, if you're physically able to stand in honor of his name and to stand for a few minutes. Tuesday night a couple weeks ago, you guys called a special prayer meeting for my family and mainly for my wife. Don't you know we greatly appreciate it? But so that you know the difference that it makes, there's tear stains on this altar. We've talked a lot of time about changing this whole carpet. Lord knows we need to. There's blood from He's Alive and tears from crosses, but there's worn out places from knees. And there's tears, stains on the carpet. Those are reminders of the battles we fought. Those are reminders of wars that we've been through, physical and spiritual wars in this church. More so than just what the tear-stained carpet is a reminder to us, your tears aren't here. God said that he takes the tears of the saints. And he captures those tears. And he places them in a vial. Your tears are a memorial in the presence of God. A memorial is a reminder of something, lest you forget. God said, your tears are so important to me that I'll catch every tear you cry. And I'll put them in this vial. And there'll be a reminder of everything that you've prayed. I thank God for your tears. I thank God for your prayers because they made a difference. His name is Jesus. The Bible calls him wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Prince of peace. Everlasting Father. He is the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. He is the rock of ages. He is the calmer of our storms. He is the one who shows up when no one else is there. He is our greatest strength. He's the one who makes a way out of no way. His name is Jesus, the most holy name given in this book by which is ascribed to the name Jesus, his Jehovah. He is the self-existent one, Jehovah. In the Old Testament, the scribes were the keepers of the law. They took the law and the prophets that had been prescribed on, on, on sheepskins, and they had to carry them over into new skins and write them down that God's word be preserved. And God had a method that his word be preserved righteous and holy and complete and pure without fail, without mistake. And as a scribe would be moving the words from one sheepskin to another perfectly prepared sheepskin, when a scribe got to the name Jehovah, he had to stop writing. He had to get up from his desk, take the bottle of ink that he had been using and set it to the side. Take the quill that he had been writing with and set it to the side. He had to go remove his garments and wash his body thoroughly, put on clean garments, come back and get a specially prepared new bottle of ink and a brand new quill because you could not write the name Jehovah with the same pen and the same ink and the same filth that wrote all of the other words in the law and the prophet. His name is Jehovah, the one who is self-existent. He is Jehovah Shema, the Lord, 
who is present. Anybody thank you for his presence? His name is Jehovah Nisi. He is the Lord, our banner. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord, our peace. He is Jehovah Saboeth, the Lord of hosts. He is Jehovah Makadeshim, the Lord, our sanctifier. He is Jehovah Roha, the Lord, my shepherd. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. He is Jehovah Disidkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. And he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. His name is Jesus. I want to ask if you would take your Bibles this morning and open it to the 121st Psalm. <coughs> huh? You need to sit down. If you have your Bible, I want to ask if you would take the Bible. I, I am I'm, I'm not an, an oldie. If you use your phone and your apps and those things, I'm good with that. I do that too, and I use them for devotions and all sorts of things. But I got to tell you, there's something amazing about the pages of this book. If you got a family member on your road that's close to you, maybe if you could just reach over and touch the book. I want to make sure that every one of you who can in this place as well, if you're watching by live stream, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you may be, if you're physically able to stand, I want to ask all within the sound of my voice to stand for the reading of the 121st Psalm. And this, this verse has become a staple for me for a couple of weeks. This verse has become a battleground. And this verse has become from nothing that I wanted to hear to everything that I had to hear. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time and even forevermore. Father, thank you for this precious book, God. Thank you for every word in it from in the beginning to amen. Thank you for the name Jesus. Thank you for the power of Jesus. Thank you for the healing of Jesus. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit in this place, God. Lord, I pray this morning, would you move, God? I, I pray you'd touch my tongue, anoint my lips, God. May you speak to your people as you'd see fit. God, I pray you'd give somebody some, some hope this morning, some help some strength, God. I pray you give each of your children exactly what they need in the place where they are. God, I ask you to move in this place. I just want to tell you thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for allowing us to be here today, God. Thank you that we can gather as children. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I, um, <clears throat> I want to talk to you this morning <clears throat> I want to talk to you this morning about spiritual warfare I'm not going to talk to you about spiritual warfare from Daniel I'm not going to talk to you about spiritual warfare from the book of the Revelation I'm not going to talk about the spiritual warfare that Elijah would have went through when he 
left the widow's house at Zarephath and went and called all Israel and had the big showdown and called down fire from heaven in one of his greatest, strongest spiritual moments and, and how he had the 450 prophets of Baal slain and then he ran into a spiritual battle and he ran for his life because of a single woman named Jezebel. There's a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual warfare that takes place all around you. There's a spiritual warfare that takes place around you, your family, your home. And the devil seeks to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life. Most of all, he wants to destroy your testimony as a child of God. I want to talk to you about spiritual warfare. And it does come from this book, I assure you, because it's my life, and this book is my life, and my life is this book. But I want to talk to you about spiritual warfare in our own lives in the past few weeks. My wife was tested positive for COVID on Thursday, August the 5th. I tested positive a few days later on Sunday. Our son and daughter-in-law tested positive at the same time. We all got it. They got a different place. We hadn't been together. <coughs> but we all got sick. And <clears throat> I, I, don't, I don't know. I've not had an opportunity to talk with a lot of other people, but I'm about to maybe learn something here from you guys. I'm going to tell you what it is for me and for us, and then I'll, I'll ask you. But I have talked to three or four other people that, that experienced what I have. COVID was, is, it's more than just a virus. I don't know how to explain this. It's certainly a virus, and it's a bad one. And it attacked, attacked bodies and lungs, and it was brutally wicked, but it wasn't the hardest part. There, there, there is an evilness about COVID. There, there, there is an evilness that came with this disease that began to overtake me, that began to almost control actions. I want to ask you a question because I'm just curious. Some have had a mild case and you barely knew you had it and some have had severe cases like Tim that fought it for months and still hasn't fully recovered more than a year later, I just want to ask from my own knowledge here, if you guys have had COVID, if you've experienced COVID and you understand the evil that I'm talking about, will you raise your hand? Yeah. Yeah, all over the building. Look, I'm curious of one other thing that I have no way of knowing. If you had a relatively mild case, and you had two or three days of like a sinus infection, and you really didn't have a severe case, I'm curious to know, if you have what you consider a milder case, but you still felt the evilness that came with it, would you raise your hand? Wow. So it's really not in the severity of it. It's in the existence of it. I don't know that I know how to explain that. All I know is that there was an ever-present evil that began to attack my home. The following Wednesday, the battle was already on. It was already a spiritual war at hand. <coughs> on that Wednesday, we had about 12 to 14 cases positive popped up within about an 18-hour period. We did a call as a staff and made an immediate decision, an emergency decision to cancel services that Wednesday night. I praise God that we did, number one, because there's no telling where COVID would have gone from that in the family, but, but also that wicked storm came through that night. All of you guys would have been caught out in that, man. It was nasty. The power went out. It was out till about 1.30 in the morning. That night, it's like all the forces of hell came against me. I don't know that I can explain it, but it's like everything went wrong, Every thing I touched was breaking. I was trying to get a generator on, trying to get air conditioning. My family's at home with COVID. It's hot in the house. We can't breathe. And everything I touch breaks. Everything's messing up. It just, I was like, God, where are you? Can't you see I need some help here? Do you even care? 
Does it not matter to you what I'm going through? Where are you? There wasn't no answers. I didn't feel like God was anywhere in the same North American continent that I was on. Anybody ever felt it? Man, I got mad. I mean, uncharacteristically mad. Like, I don't really get mad, but I got mad. But the only two people I didn't show my anger on was them two, but I talked about everything outside and downstairs. I couldn't understand what was going on. The battle continued to rage. I went through four or five days that this book made no sense to me. I tried reading it, but I might as well have been reading a G-O-N. <coughs> you guys would send me verses. I tried devotions. Nothing, nothing changed. Nothing mattered. You know, this book is a living water. This isn't a lake. This isn't a reservoir of information. This isn't an ocean of wealth for you. This isn't an ocean of good tidings and strength. This is a river flowing of living micro and macro organisms. This is a river bringing down fresh strength, new encouragement, new strength every single day. This is a river. You pray and you ask the Holy Spirit to fill me up and, and teach me here as I read this book. But it's like the Holy Spirit was not present. And this was just water running by me that meant nothing. Everything continued to get worse. I couldn't seem to get in touch with God at all. My family got sicker with their own Friday. Corey's put on oxygen. He said, I need to see you back here on Saturday. He met us on his personal time at lunch Saturday. And by then, it was in all of our lungs. He sent us back home. He said, I need to see Corey again on Sunday. Well, all night, Robin's oxygen count was 70s to mid-80s. I text the doctor the next morning. I said, well, I'm bringing Robin. I'm coming. Our fevers was 102, 103. We couldn't breathe. And I went back, and he checked Robin, and it was, both lungs were full. It had just done an, an attack overnight. And he began to make the move to get her in the hospital, get her some help. And, you know, it's funny. I can look back over it, and I can, I can see God's hand in everything. I truly can. I can see from where we went, from the doctors we went, from the pulmonologists that we got, to the rooms that we got in the ER and in the hospital. I can see God's hand orchestrated everything that happened. But in the storm, I couldn't feel his presence at all. I was able to get into Robin's room that Sunday and prayed with her. We prayed for a little while, but I didn't have any oil with me, and it bothered me that I didn't have any oil with me. So I went home. I prayed most of the night. From the minute my wife went to the hospital, I never went to bed. I never got in the bed. I said, when she comes home, there'll be time for sleeping. Right now is the time for praying. I prayed all through the night. I got up that morning. I said, I've got to get to her. Y'all forgive me. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is what it is. But being a pastor and being at the hospital a lot, you know some places. And so I made my way through that hospital unnoticed. And made my way up to my wife's room. I anointed her with oil and put it on her lungs and prayed over her. And in case I got caught and couldn't get in, I had taken one of the faith face masks and anointed it and prayed over it and asked God to put a healing power according to what they did with the Apostle Paul in the Roman prison. And they anointed prayer cloths and sent them out that the sick may be healed. But I was able to get in and pray with her and I handed her that prayer cloth. And I said, lay this on your chest and keep it there. He carries the power of God. I went home that night and I prayed God was nowhere. There's a grandfather clock in that end of the house that's not on silent so I can hear it. All through the night it was ringing. <coughs> About 3 o'clock in the morning, I, I said, God, where are you? I don't feel your presence. I don't feel your warmth. I don't hear your voice. I don't hear nothing about you. I don't hear you in your word. I don't hear you talking to me. I don't hear you in music. I've tried listening to everything from Southern Gospel to, to anything Christian. I don't feel you in nothing. 
Genesis chapter 28, you came to Bethel and met Jacob there. You let him see a ladder, angels ascending and descending. You said you're no respecter of persons. You did it for him. Where's the ladder? Why don't you come on down that ladder and talk to me? Why don't you let me see what he else said? Better yet, in Genesis chapter 32, you wrestled with Jacob. You let him fight for it. He was scared because he was going to meet Esau, and he was afraid his brother was going to kill him because of what he did several years ago. And you wrestled with him till the break of day. And you told him that, that you prevailed, you touched the hollow of his thigh, that he walked the rest of his life with a limp. But he said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. And you changed his name and you blessed him. Why don't you come down and let me wrestle with you? Why don't you let me hold on to the hem of the same garment that the woman touched with the issue of blood of 12 years? Why don't you let me hold on to your garment? Why don't you come wrestle with me? Give me a chance. I felt nothing. Sun started coming up. The Bible says elders. I thought maybe I did something wrong. I made my way back over to the hospital. I made my way back through some places that I know, and I made my way back to my wife's room. And I anointed my wife with oil again. Not that I don't believe the first time was powerful enough, but just in case I did something wrong. Because I sure didn't feel you last night. I prayed over again. She went to sleep. She's sitting there with that mask on, forcing oxygen through her lungs, and she's out of it, and I got down on the floor. I said, God, I just don't understand where you are in all this. I can't feel you for nothing. It feels like a barren wasteland. Went home that day. I prayed. I prayed all through the night. I laid on one side a while, the other side a while, praying. Clock struck four o'clock. I said, I can't take this anymore, God. I said, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to the one that touched the eyes of blind Bartimaeus and his sight was healed. I need to talk to the one that anointed the eyes of the blind and sent him to the pool of Siloam and he came back seeing. I need to talk to the one that touched the ears of the deaf woman and she came hearing. I need to talk to the one that touched the tongue of the mute and loosed it that he could speak. God, I need to talk to the one that called Lazarus out of the tomb. I need to talk to the one that stopped the beer and raised the child up alive and gave the dead son back to the widow alive. I need to talk to the one that in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and said, let there be light and there was light. God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. The light he called day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. I need to talk to you. I need to talk to the Word. The one that was in the beginning with God and in the beginning was God and by Him was everything made that was made and was not anything. Without Him was nothing made that was made. I need to talk to the fourth man in the fire in Daniel chapter 3. I need to talk to the one that quenched the mouths of lions. I need to talk to the one that overthrew kingdoms, subdued pharaohs, parted the Red Sea, put manna on the ground, sprang water from the rock at Horeb. I need to talk to the one that is the healer of all things. I need to talk to the one that climbed up on the cross, that said, by Israel, your stripes are we healed. I need to talk to you. I need to talk to the one, Jeremiah 33, 3. You said, call unto me. I will answer thee. I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I'm calling unto you. I need to talk to you. Where are you? And all of a sudden, everything changed. All of that coldness began to disappear. There became a warmth all around me. And I felt the presence of God begin to move in my house. I felt like 
I felt like Daniel. Remember when Daniel prayed and for three weeks he got no answer? And finally, after three weeks, he saw a man in a vision. The man coming was an angel. And he talked about Daniel, oh, highly favored. He said, from the day that you prayed, God sent me with the answer to your prayer. But for one in 20 days, I have fought against the angel of Persia. For one in 20 days, the devil had held up an angel. For one in 20 days, there had been a battle, a spiritual warfare between the angels of heaven and the demons of hell. And for 21 days, an angel of heaven could not break through. Finally, Michael, the archangel, came and overpowered that I have delivered your prayer. I felt like that prayer. I felt like hell had set up camp in my house. I felt like the demons had been holding angels away and holding everything back. But it wasn't Michael that came into my house. It was Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, moved into my house. Broke through everything. And all of those who know me know I began to weep. You know how I am. You know when the presence of God gets close to me, I'm going to start crying. I started crying. And I said, thank you, Lord. I need to talk to you. I said, you've made me some promises, and I plan to hold you to them. I know in Hebrews 9, 27, your word promises the pointed unto man wants to die. After this, the judgment, you can have that. Appointed unto man wants to die. You said three score and ten per adventure, four score. That's 70, 80. All that means is eventually everybody's going to die, but it don't mean now. I said, that people die before their time every day. Those of you that say when people get killed, well, it was just their time to go. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. People die before their time every day. People die in car wrecks. People die of cancer. People die of COVID. People die. It wasn't their time. The time came. Somebody sticks a gun in their mouth and pulls the trigger. It wasn't their time. The foolish man shortened his days on earth. And you said... That the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Maybe so. But it rains on some farmer's field five miles down the road it don't. Sometimes one didn't get the rain, his crops grow, and the other one don't. So I don't want to hear all that. I said, you made some promises to me. And I want to talk to you about the promises you made to me. The book of Matthew. Lord, you came and you preached a sermon to us. You told us all about the Beatitudes and how we are to be and how we are to live and how we are to act. You taught us so many things in the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> but in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 7, you made a promise to me. You said, ask and it shall be given. You said, seek and you shall find. You said, knock and it shall be opened to you. For he that... For he that, that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh it is open. You made me that promise. You said that. Over in Matthew chapter 17, it's written in red again. That means you made the promise to me in verse number 20. Your disciples couldn't cast out a demon, and you told them it was because of their unbelief. But you went on to say that if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, that you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and this shall be removed. But your word says that nothing, nothing, you said nothing shall be impossible unto you. You made me that promise. I'm coming to you to pray. Matthew chapter 21, you made me a promise over in verse number 21. It's written in red. You're the one that came to me. You answer, verily I say, if you have faith, then doubt not. You shall not only do that which is done to the fig tree, but also you shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed. Be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be done. I came to hold you to your promises. Oh, in the book of James, you said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I'm none of the above. I'm not effectual. I'm not fervent. I'm not righteous. Oh, but you said I am, didn't you? 
You said by your stripes we're healed, but you said by your blood we're made righteous. When you look at me, I am righteous, and it's your effectual, it's your, it's your ferventness in my prayer. But in that same book, you said, is there any sick among you? Let them call before the elders of the church. And anoint them with oil that the prayer of faith might heal the sick. Anointing him with oil, they shall be forgiven. You're the one who made me an elder of a church. I didn't decide that. I was moving houses, making money, minding my own business. Thank you very much for loving me. Thank you for making me an elder, but that's your choice. I've gone to my wife, and I've done exactly what you said, and the word elders is plural, but you and I both know I can't take anybody into that hospital with me, so I've gone twice. I've done everything that your word said to do. I've anointed her body with oil that the prayer of faith might heal the sick. You said that if we pray the prayer of faith, having no doubt, that means if I have no doubt in me and I've prayed it, then you have to answer it. Search me, O oh God. I said, don't search me like you search David and see if there be any wicked way in me. You and I both, I'm full of wickedness. I'm vile. I'm wicked inside and out, through and through. I'm a vile creature. But then again, you don't see that, do you? You look at me through the blood of the Lamb of God, and you see me for what I'm not. You see me as holy and pure and righteous. You see me through the blood of the Lamb of God. That's what you see. But you said that if I have faith without doubting, that I could move mountains. Search me. Look under my fingernails. Look in every cell of my body. Look in every cell in my blood. Look in the marrow of my bones. Look in the darkest, deepest corners of every area of my heart and in my life. Can you find doubt in me? You find one doubt in me that does not believe from in the beginning to amen. Find one ounce of doubt about the fiery furnace, Jonah and the whale, the revelation Christ to come. Find any doubt in me. God, if you find one ounce of doubt in me, then you kill my family before the sun comes up in about 30 minutes. But if you don't, you heal my wife. When you pray, prayer is a two-way street. When you've spoken your peace, shut up and listen. Many of you know many years ago, I got mad at God. I told you a story about outside, and I got mad and keep rocks and slinging stuff and yelling at God, and I got through, and I said, you got anything to say to me? Say it now. Y'all remember that story? God said, now you sit down and listen to me. And took me to Job chapter 38 and said, who do you think you are? Where were you when I hung the earth on nothing? Where were you when I spanned the stars across the heaven and calleth them all by name? Tell me in all your infinite wisdom if you can. Where were you when I hollowed out the oceans with my hand? I haven't forgot that woodshed. And I know I've been bold before God. My wife was sick, and that's all that mattered. I laid there for an hour. The sun's coming up. Matter of fact, that morning, that's what inspired the text, Paul. Sorry to text you guys at 5.30 in the morning. But after the prayer, the presence of God had finally broke through at 4 o'clock in the morning when I felt his presence. I sent the staff a text at 5.30 in the morning. I said, COVID may take away my physical ability to taste and smell, but nothing in heaven and earth can take away the ability to taste and see that the Lord is good. I laid there for about an hour, and I hadn't felt anything from God. I reached over and picked up my phone, and I... I hit play, it was on Pandora, and a song came on. How many of you have ever had God speak directly to you in a song in a moment's notice? I'm talking about answer questions you asked and give you hope and help. So while I'm laying there waiting on God to see if he's going to speak to me, my mind's swirling. You know who you're talking to. You've been pretty bold, but God, you told me in Hebrews 4, 16 to come boldly under the throne room of grace that I may obtain mercy. I've done according to your word. I've come boldly. I've come boldly on behalf of my wife. I've not done anything outside your word, not anything outside your book. God, have I stepped over the line? You're here. I feel your presence. 
I feel it close to me. I'm still fighting back tears, but, but you're saying nothing. Have, have I disqualified myself? Well, that song began to talk about all that and how I hadn't disqualified myself and how God was there in all of my mistakes. And the song said that he would finish what he started. <clears throat> because it had the lyrics and I wanted to see it, I was looking at my phone on the lyrics. I looked at it, probably listened to the song four or five times. One of those ads popped up on my phone and says, you might like this. I don't know why they do that. I never like them. Y'all's phone do that? This one's like one of those African things, you know, ten lions ganged up on a wildebeest, tackling him down, killing him, hanging all over him, biting him, eating him while he's still. I hate that. I literally hate that. I hate all that African stuff, the cheetahs tripping up the antelope, catching them by the throat and climbing up a tree. I hate the cruelty of nature. I love nature. I love outdoors. I love deer, turkey. I love watching, but I hate the cruelty of nature. I truly, in all of my heart, I cannot wait until the day when the lion lays down with the lamb and all things are made new. I cannot wait for that day. I started thinking about, man, that stuff's so unfair. And I found myself thinking about life, you know, just life's unfair. Ain't nothing fair about life. I started thinking of all of you. I laid, probably turned into hours praying for so many of you and all that you've been through. I, I thought back about storms. I thought back about Miss Kathy and Lynn Coleman. I think Lynn was 37 years old. Two children, one about to get married, and cancer killed her. Nothing fair about that. Of my own two cousins, didn't even make 40 years old, and cancer killed them thought about the Clay family in 2020. Man, what a year you guys had. Calling out your name and, and praying for you. thought about Miss, Miss Margie. What a sweetheart, man. But your family went through so much. Miss Debbie, I couldn't help while I was thinking about unfair things. I thought about Chris. 16 years old and get some kind of rare disease and die at 16? I mean, really? Cody loses a 16-year-old twin brother at 16 years old? There's nothing fair about that. There's no fairness in none of that. I thought about the song, Good, Good Father, that played that day while I was in his room waiting on him to do the organ transplant. I thought about Abby. Abby's in the medical field. Odds are she probably caught COVID from somebody that she was trying to help and got them to the hospital, and they're okay, and she died. There ain't nothing fair about that. I thought about Josh. Two and a half weeks or so ago, Josh, Josh Bronner made a mistake. Man, I'll be able to make a mistake and not kill him, hadn't he? Think about this story, 35-year-old man. He and his wife broke, both grew up. Fairly well-to-do homes. They're used to the finer things. They met in college. Both had good jobs and got married. They had children, and as they got, the children got older, his job paid so well, she was able to quit, stay home, take care of the children. The elementary school age now, one morning he's going down the hall, girls, and they're supposed to be getting ready at school, and they're playing. He goes in, tickles on them a little bit, loves on them, hugs them, tells them bye. Goes in there, his wife's got lunch ready. He takes his lunch, tells his wife, I love you. She'll be home about 5.30. Gets in the car for his 25, 30-minute commute to work. and Not even five minutes from home, he gets his coffee and spills it on his tie. I mean, come on, man, really? Those of you who know anything about coffee, that's like the spillingest thing in the world, right? You spill a couple of gram forms in the kitchen, it gets all over the whole kitchen. You spill a drop on your tie in the car, and it gets all over the dash and the console. Gets on his tie, and he's like, oh, man, you got to be kidding. I got meetings. I don't have time to go back. He reaches over knowing there's a napkin in there, what his lunch has got for him. He gets back and he looks up about two seconds too late. He's crossed the center line. There's ditches on both sides of the road. The truck had nowhere to go. And just like that, it's over. Two children without a dad. A wife is now a widow raising two children at home with no help. It's not fair. Nothing fair about none of it. then God reminded me of something that I already knew. I've just never seen it quite in that form. 
God reminded me that I serve a God that is sovereign. I serve a God that is holy. I serve a God that is good. I serve a God that is righteous. And I serve a God that is not fair. And I'm so thankful that he's not. God is grace beyond comprehension. God is mercy without measure. God is love without limitations. Long-suffering beyond anything we can imagine. God's not fair. If God were fair, Jesus never came. If God were fair, the Holy Spirit never put the seed inside of a virgin named Mary. Jesus never became flesh and dwelt among us. If God were fair, the tree that grew, that became the cross, never got planted. If God were fair, the stone at the base of the mountain where they hewned out a grave where the Lord barred it for three days, that stone never got formed. God were fair, Jesus Christ never climbed up on a cross. If God were fair, the blood shed at Calvary would be mine and yours. It was our sin, our transgression, our iniquity. But God's not fair, God's merciful. For all who come to Him and trust Him as His personal Lord and Savior, there's not going to be a fair trial. Somebody say, Thank you, Jesus. Miss Kathy told me the story about Josh. She'd gotten him out of the tub, doing CPR on the bathroom floor, trying to get him back. <laughs> but at the time all that was going on, Josh was in a courtroom, and the accuser was present. The same accuser that's going to be at your trial. The same accuser that knows all of your mistakes and all your failures and every, everything you ever did wrong, every sin. And the accuser was telling God, look at him. Oh, he struggled off and on for years with different things. He's been in church and out of church. But he messed up this time. Look at him. Went too far this time. He's mine now. And God looked at Josh. And he looked at the son. The son looked at the only thing that mattered. And that was the Lamb's book of life. And he turns over there, and he says, Josh Bronner, 11 years old, Sunnyside Baptist Church, trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. The blood has been applied. And when the blood has been applied, it can never be removed. The son looked at the father and said, Redeemed. Thank God for unfair trials. The father looked at Josh and said, Enter into your rest. Great is your reward. <laughs> I thank God that I serve a God that's not fair, but merciful. But can I tell you something? For those who refuse the gift, for those who say no to Jesus Christ, well, God, thank you for sending him. Thank you for letting him be beat to death, brutalized, killed on the cross. Thank you for the offer of the gift, but no thank you. You're going to get a fair trial, and you ain't going to like it. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you leave this life, you will stand present at a fair trial. And your answer will be, depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. I never knew you. Bible tells us in Revelation 20.10 that death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. Be weeping, gnashing of teeth, eternal suffering and torment. That's the home for everybody who rejects Jesus Christ. You want a fair trial? Keep doing what you're doing. But if you want mercy, if you want grace, his name is Jesus you got a chance this morning to say, Father, forgive me for all of my sin. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I'm sorry I failed you. I'm sorry I'm a sinner. 
But I believe that you're holy. I believe that you're righteous. I believe that you're the Lord. I believe in Calvary's cross. I believe in the third day resurrection. I believe in your word. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and save my soul. If you're faithful and just to say that prayer, he's faithful and just to save your soul. And praise God, when judgment day comes, we won't get a fair trial. You know, everybody has their stories, things that some people may or may not believe. All of you got your own. God has done personal things for you. It's just like when we were in Costa Rica and God fed the the Bree Bree Indians. He fed the multitudes before our eyes. We did not have enough food to feed the people that was there, but we fed everyone and had food left over. I've seen God feed the multitudes. It doesn't matter to me if you believe that. I don't care. I mean, I've seen God. That's, that's all that matters. All of you have a story where God did something for you that the rest of the world, even Christians, as bad as I hate to say it, I go, whatever. I want to tell you how personal God is. On Saturday night, my wife called me. The doctor was in the room, and he wanted to talk to me, and we talked for a while. And there were two magic words talked about. It was that um, departure date. What's the word? Discharge. Discharge date. Man, what two, what two words? talking about maybe letting her come home Saturday night, but he got her up and her oxygen hit 89 with the oxygen still on. He said, Miss Yancey, I can't let you go home tonight. I need you for another day. But one thing was obvious. The storm was past. The spiritual warfare had ended. God's word made sense when I read it. God was answering prayers. When I prayed, I felt this presence again. And my wife was coming home. I was laying there. It was a little after 2 o'clock in the morning. I was praying. And I just pointed. And I waited. I'm sitting there in my recliner. And I'm just waiting. I was waiting for a recognition. And I can't tell you how many minutes I sat there. It seemed like 15 or 20. It was probably 4 or 5. I sat there pointing. And all of a sudden, I felt his presence. It was like he stopped to look. Like, be still. He's pointing. I felt like God was listening, just like that night when he came in, when I said, I need to talk to you, and he showed up. I knew God was there. I knew I had the audience of his ear. Say what you got to say. I felt like God was listening. Just opened my hand and just sat there. And I finally mustered up enough oxygen to say, Thank you. God said, You're welcome. If you want to know how personal God is, put yourself in a personal situation, put yourself in a time that matters. God is a very personal God. A very loving God, a very gracious God, a very healing God, a very come to you and you have to have him, God. And I thank God on judgment day, he's not going to be a fair God. Anybody thankful for grace? So I told you God gave me a song. Song may not mean two cents to you. Let me... Let, 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 let me tell you, I told you that I was laying there debating on had I gone too far. God, did I step over the line? Am I out of bounds? I mean, I've, I have spoken my peace plainly. But not one time, not one time did I come outside of your word. Not once. You've heard me tell you many times when you pray, pray God's word back to him. It means you've read it. And it means you believe it. 
And I said, God, I have not prayed one thing outside of your word. I have called you by your name. I have called you by everything that you are. And I have not stepped outside of the boundaries with anything. Why won't you answer me? So I'm laying there wondering, am I going to get an answer? <coughs> and I opened this. And it opened this song. And it says, I don't have to know you to know that you'll go through hard times. It's just part of life. But it says, don't let that moment blind you. And don't let it define you. Take heart. That's not who you are. Our God is able. <laughs> More than capable. And to be faithful to the end. He'll finish what he started. No matter what you've done, grace comes like a flood. There's hope to carry on. It says no matter what you face, his mercy will not change. He's with you all the way. On over it says, remember you're forgiven. So there's no need to give in to the lie that you're disqualified. The devil's lied to some of you. We've got mistakes in our past, and some of our past ain't that far away, amen? And the devil's told you that your sins have disqualified you from the power of God. The devil has singled some of you out and created a war zone around your house, and, and you have a loved one who needs the touch of God, and you don't feel like you can feel his presence anywhere to be found. You don't feel like you feel his power you don't feel like he's listening to you. And the devil's telling you he don't care. Where is he now? Footprints in the sand. Well, it's those times I was carrying you. Where are you now? The devil's telling you that some of your mistakes are insurmountable. God can't use you. You know what you've done? Can I tell you the devil is a bold-faced, flat-out lie? Father of all lies, lying to you. They just told you you're a chosen vessel. You're a treasure. You're a clay formed by the hand of the living God. So I'm going to have Philip play this song. I'm going to ask everybody, if you would, to stand. But I want you to stand in honor of the name, Jesus. His name is Jesus. There's no other name that we need. No other name that we got. <laughs>